from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome, everybody. We're happy to be with you. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world. We're just getting back to recording after a little break for celebrating holidays. Getting back to a lot of things after a little break. That's right. Homeschooling is picking up. Mm -hmm. Work is picking up. Yeah. I am about to be leaving you. Well, not quite. In another week and a half. Yeah. I'll be headed off to Australia. Uh, yeah, I have I have needed this downtime. I had a very very busy travel season in 2023, and uh, I had about a month off. Having about a, I'm in the middle of about a month off from travel, which is very very nice to be home. It is, and just we've been blessed. We've been blessed with time together with one another and with our kids and friends, and all of that is so. It's important to have times set apart for those important things and to relax and enjoy them. So I'm grateful for that. We did an end-of-the-year email at the Institute, which we always do, which is fun. And I just wrote a little like introductory paragraph, and I was talking about the record number of international trips I did in, in 2023. Uh-huh. And I listed all these countries that I went to, and the email got sent off. And I realized after the email got sent off— it was already a long list, but I missed two. You had two other trips. There were that... two other international trips that I had for, not forgotten about. They just weren't on my brain <laughs> when I was writing that email, yeah. which I did late at night. And uh, so I'm just shouting out right now to my dear friends in Brazil and Colombia yeah. who hosted me in 2023. Uh, you didn't make the opening <laughs> paragraph of the email because I, I was writing it late at night and I just spaced <laughs> And I thought I looked at this long list of countries I had been to in 2023. Thought I thought that has to be all of them. <laughs> There's no way I did. I actually forgot two of them. Wow, it's, it was an amazing year. Thank you, Lord, for all the yes. incredible opportunities that um, came and that the Lord has carried us through. And and guess what 2024 is? What? Do you not know what 2024 is? In terms it, of it's a the year. work, well, it is a year. <laughs> In terms of the work, in terms of the work of the TOB Institute. Oh, it's an anniversary, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, which one? <laughs> I don't know. Twentieth. Yes, <laughs> it's the twentieth anniversary of the TOB Institute. Oh, that's that's awesome. It is awesome. We're going to have some celebratory things and some announcements coming about how we're celebrating and what that'll all look like. So uh, we'll obviously keep you posted on oh, that. That's awesome. Do you have any like just comments about uh, or any other updates for us from the Institute yes. in addition to that? Uh, there is a TOB1 online uh, starting in a couple weeks. And I know, I know we have tens of thousands of listeners mm. around the world and you're listening right now. And some of you have never taken the TOB1 course. So maybe now's the time. Yeah. And if money is an obstacle, please, please apply for a scholarship. Uh, we have a scholarship fund specifically for those who are not able to, uh, you know, meet the tuition. So if that's you, please apply. Don't let that. We never, ever want money to get in the way of people attending our courses. You will not regret. I am telling you, you will not regret taking the TOB1 online. Uh, if you haven't taken 
a TOB course before. This is the starting point. This is our kind of flagship offering. So check out the link below and learn more. Can I just say two quick things about taking an online course? First of all, um, the online course is spread over two weeks and in which you have access to the course videos and can watch them in your own pace, but it includes some online live um, question and answer sessions with the instructors. So um, I think that's really important to know that while you're enrolled in the course, first of all, that you have a longer time to complete it than you would if you came in person. And secondly, that you do have that personal interaction. Yep. And it's in those two weeks, it's all on your own pace. Right. Uh, And I'll just let the cat out of the bag. We always give a grace period at the end of the two weeks for those who haven't finished the videos. So if you're thinking, I don't know if I could finish it in two weeks, we actually give you three weeks, but we only tell you we give you two weeks. (laughs) But I just told you I give you three weeks, so it doesn't even mean anything that we don't tell you because I just told you. (laughs) Christopher, I didn't even know about that. How about it? Yeah. It's it's a grace period. So officially, it's two weeks with a one-week grace period. Wonderful. Well, I hope that some of our listeners will be in that course. Are you ready for a question from a patron? This is from a patron named Angie. Hello, Angie. Thank you, Angie. I just want to say this up front. Thank you for your monthly support. We cannot fulfill this mission without people like you who believe in what we're doing and support us. I hope you are taking advantage of all the benefits we offer our patrons. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. My fiancé and I love listening to your podcast, and it's been so helpful to us throughout the discerning marriage process. Oh, good. We recently started charting together under the Creighton model and would really appreciate it if you could shine light into the communication aspect of NFP. Our instructor recommended that he be the one to document and chart at the end of the day. And while we do it, it is a bit weird to be talking about cervical mucus so much. <laughs> Peak type cervical mucus is as beautiful as semen, but he's not out here telling me about his seminal discharge. <laughs> I see how it's good for a couple to do charting together, but how do we reorient what we find to be kind of gross and weird as preparation to receive the beauty of the marital embrace? Is it okay to find it gross or are we just children of a couple that thinks bodies are bad. Wow. Angie, I I love this question, and I love the way you put it. I love your sense of humor. I love the honesty. So good on you, girl. That's really, I don't know, it kind of makes me smile, Yeah. just the way she asked it. Mm -hmm. Here's what I would invite you to, Angie. If, If the real question is about the ick factor, I'm hearing that line, you know, who told you you were naked? God says that to Adam and Eve after original sin. Who told you were naked? We could change that up a little bit and just said, who told you that cervical mucus was gross? Where does that idea come from? It certainly does not come from God because God made your body and God made your fertility. And this is a beautiful sign of your body's fertility. And it reveals something potent, powerful, beautiful, glorious, holy, sacred. And if there's an, an ick factor or a gross factor, it comes from our 
fallen humanity, things that we just take for granted as, well, that's just the way it is. Um, well, it's the way it is in a fallen world. But we can hear also the echo of Christ here, in the beginning it was not so. Now, that's not to say, you know, there aren't some things about our bodies that anybody would find somewhat gross, right? Um, I don't find defecation particularly delightful or beautiful or uh, fragrant. <laughs> uh, it's not a beautiful thing in that sense, but nonetheless, it, 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 it reveals something of the mystery of being human. There's something here in our bodies, even in what we can say, okay, that's gross, or something out of context can seem gross, like it would, it would be like inappropriate for me to be talking about you know, in an intimate way, some other woman's cervical mucus, although it even already seems like I'm doing that right now, but I'm not. I mean, I'm not in the way. Mm -hmm. Did I just mess this whole thing up? Do we need to start over? Do I? What? <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm getting a little off track. Help me, help, me to, help me to regroup here, Wendy. What was I saying? <laughs> you, you started to acknowledge, well, there are some things that we just would naturally, maybe yeah. you don't even want to Yeah, I guess there. my point is I don't want to leave our audience with the impression that well, if you were just more holy, you wouldn't find anything gross. I mean, sometimes, you know, you hack up some loogie or something, and I've seen, if you could only see my wife's face right now, because <laughs> I know you, you don't like snot. <laughs> like, that's a thing with you. And that's not some sign of a lack of holiness, right? Nonetheless, none, okay, so hold that on one side. There are some things about our bodies that anybody would find gross, right? If your intestines fall out of your belly because you walked into a big samurai sword, that would be gross. I mean, that, okay. And it would smell bad. And that's not fun. And decay and death is gross. And certain bodily functions are in some way gross. But fertility is not gross, right? Signs of fertility are not gross. Signs of fertility are revealing something glorious and beautiful. And I would challenge any listener out there, I challenge any human being, if you find it gross, to say, Lord, where did this come into me? Where, where, did, the, where did I get this idea? Purify me. Help me to see the beauty of our fertility. There was also a question about communication with NFP and you know, we've been married 28 years and we're now past childbearing years, so this is not really an, uh, something we're going through right now, but we went through it for years and years and years as a married couple and we passed through different phases and stages. But I found the, the need to communicate about our joint fertility, and that I think is the best way to say it, our joint fertility, the, the need to communicate about that compelled a certain vulnerability, a certain honesty, a certain transparency, a certain uh, openness between us that has been very, very healthy, very, very conducive to intimacy in the true sense of the word. Mm. Uh, marital union is a profound bodily intimacy, and being compelled to talk about these things and put words to experiences questions, observations about fertility uh, compels a, 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 a beautiful intimacy. That's been our experience. Yeah. And, but I'll also share something else from our experience, which is that you were not the person who kept charts. That is correct. So even though that was also recommended to us, we didn't end up 
charting or tracking that way. And didn't, didn't we try it though for a while, and it didn't go so well, or did I don't, just I don't remember. I always remember. I think I, I, think yeah? I tried it for a little while. Okay, but then we we just found it didn't work so well for us. So I just want to be honest about that, so that you know people don't feel like somehow the the only acceptable thing is if we follow that suggestion or recommendation that the man keep the charts. On the other hand, there are husbands we know of who have kept their wife's fertility record throughout their entire marriage, and that has been a, a good way for them to share the responsibility. So it, it I just want to be honest about that. That, yeah. that particular thing is not some rule or standard that has to be followed. And it might be for this couple, for Angie and her fiance, that they, you know, want to take a break from him charting and see how she feels about it. You know, how does she feel about, okay, well, then now how will I communicate with him about the cycle if he's not keeping the chart and just explore other options and see whether him recording they end up missing it. Who knows? You know, those are options. Mm-hmm. But I actually love all that you said from your heart about just that fertility is not gross because, wow, do we need to know that? Yeah. We've just been so wounded by so many confusing messages throughout yeah. our, our culture. So Yeah. So just to, to reiterate or put a bow on it, uh, just a gentle encouragement, and this is not some like strident, you are so messed up and you really need psychological help. No, no, it's not that. It's a it's a gentle encouragement and invitation just to say, Lord, where did I get this idea that my fertility is gross? Uh, God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very gross. <laughs> no. no, no. Behold, it is very good. It is very good. So between... The original creation and the fall, uh, some gross ideas got in the mix there. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, purify our hearts, cleanse us of diseased ideas and images about our bodies. Uh, and there is that make no doubt, make no mistake, and have no doubt, there is an enemy who wants us to think our bodies are gross. And and a lot of us, myself included, we have to work through various hangups here. To come to a place of peace, a piece of a place of resolution, a place of of ease and comfort in our own humanity. So that's that's the call. And Christ took on flesh, and He says, "Blessed are those who take no offense at Me." So Lord, help us to take no offense at You in Your flesh, and help us to take no offense at ourselves. In our flesh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for making us enfleshed spirits. Mm. And thank you, Lord, for sanctifying the flesh by taking on flesh and by being born of a woman. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. I've been listening to your podcast for years now, and it's always so insightful. One question that has remained unanswered through all your episodes for me, though, is what is considered masturbation? At what point does the sin of masturbation start? I know that there are three conditions to a mortal sin, but I'm wondering more on a physical level. Surely it hasn't only occurred once an individual has completed the action, 
But also, I may suppose it's still a sin if you do not complete the action. Where is the point of mortal sin versus lighter sin of the flesh that, of course, still needs to be confessed? And also, why in the catechism does it not outright say that masturbation is a mortal sin? I understand it says something along the lines of, it is a grave offense, but why not call it how it is? As a young person, this caused much confusion and almost made it seem like it wasn't that bad of an action. Okay, so first let me say, before I give a a rather technical definition of masturbation, let me just acknowledge the danger of reducing things to technicalities. Uh, We can get ourselves in trouble, especially if we lean in a scrupulous way uh, in in clinging to a certain definition as if that were the whole picture, right? We have to look at human hearts. We have to look at objective realities and subjective realities, as we've been saying, and that's what the catechism was trying to address in its talking about culpability with masturbation, etc. So, let me state something objectively first, and then we'll talk more subjectively. So, objectively, an act of masturbation would be any self-seeking stimulation of the genitals, right? Any self-seeking pleasure, uh, genital pleasure, any self-seeking genital pleasure could be considered masturbation, and I think should be considered masturbation, self-seeking genital pleasure. Now, why am I being so broad there? Um, Technically speaking, let me put it this way, contracepted intercourse is masturbatory behavior because it is self-seeking genital pleasure, right? Uh, All sexual sin is in a, in a very real way masturbatory. It is self-seeking sexual pleasure. When we, when we think of the word masturbation, we think of in isolation or done to oneself. And I think that would be a more specific definition of masturbation. So let's start broad. <laughs> Starting broad with the technical language, we're talking about self-seeking genital pleasure, whether or not it achieves climax, right? Whether or not. That would be a broad sense of the word. When we get more specific, we're speaking of solitary, self-seeking genital stimulation, right? So, technical language, speaking objectively, let's turn to the subject. Let's look inward. We don't want to fall into scruples and think okay, I'm in the shower and I'm washing my body and I'm cleaning my genitals and I felt a sensation when the water was rinsing my genitals and there was some bodily sensation that was pleasurable. Oh my gosh, I've masturbated. I have to, I have to now go to confession or something. That would be uh, scrupulous. What's going on in the heart, right? One might experience a, a, a kind of excitement genitally in any number of ways that is not masturbatory so long as one is not engaging one's will, right? Okay, you're in the shower, the water hits your genitals, there's a sensation that's pleasurable. Do you move on from that or do you continue doing that? Are you engaging your will? When are you engaging your will? Sin is only sin when we have engaged our will, right? And again, that line from the catechism about subjective culpability uh, is, is important here. And there's nothing... 
there's nothing wrong with all kinds of ways one might touch his genitals or her genitals. We have to do this in bathing. We have to do this when we're going to the bathroom. We have to do this in clothing ourselves, uh, tending to ourselves, grooming ourselves. Uh, please, please avoid the scruples of thinking, oh my gosh, I've touched my genitals and it, there was a sensation that was pleasurable, therefore I have masturbated. Uh, what's going on in the intention of your heart? That's where we have to hold the objective definition together with the subjective realities. Mm. You want to add anything to that, Wendy? I do. I just want to say I'm so grateful that the Lord made us with uh, the ability to have sexual pleasure, and we need to not regret that. We need to thank Him for that, and thank Him for the great gift it is to be drawn to marriage, to express our love in marriage, and to to remind ourselves that it is a gift in when we're in a situation where, you know, there are confusing temptations and longings that we're waiting, you know, on God's timing for things in our lives that that it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's it's such a a good thing. And I just want to give thanks and to the Lord for that. Wendy, what you just exclaimed about the goodness of the body and delighting in this, not resenting it, not seeing it as something foul or a curse or or worse, right, is so important. How do we overcome evil with good? Right? If the room is dark, turn the lights on, right? You overcome cold by turning the heat on, by lighting a fire. Uh, you overcome the evil of disordered erotic desire with holy eros. You overcome bad eros with good eros and plenty of it. As I, I read in a book one time, uh, yeah, overcome bad eros with good eros. What do we mean by that? by attraction to the true, the good, and the beautiful. Whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is holy, think on these things, right? St. Paul says, and the body is fundamentally good. The gift of sexuality is fundamentally good. It is so good that God made us with this capacity to experience the pleasure of becoming one flesh because this is a participation, a bodily participation, it's meant to be, in the eternal ecstasy of divine love. That's why God gave us this capacity. Any pursuit of that pleasure outside of that context in wanting to express and participate in that divine love, we could call masturbation, right? And that's probably a better definition than all the other things I said. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just leave it at that. Thank you, Lord. Help us to see the true, the good, and the beautiful of our sexuality. And if you're new to this podcast, if you're new to th the world of understanding theology of the body, start with theology of the body for beginners and, and just go from there, jumping into to bringing the true, the good, and the beautiful in so that we can flush out the false, the bad, and the ugly. That's how we overcome sin. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hello, anonymous listener. My girlfriend and I are approaching engagement. While unpacking my sexual past of five partners, she is experiencing pain and betrayal. How do we heal as a couple? Where do we start? Is there hope for a beautiful sex life? 
I feel I'm not worthy of her because of my past. Brother, there is hope. There is hope. I want to say that loudly. I want to say that clearly. The cross of Christ goes deeper than all of your sin. Thanks be to God for that, because we all need to hear that. We all need to know that. The cross goes deeper than all of our sin, or forget it, this Christianity stuff is a, is a sham. Uh, but it's not a sham, because the cross does go deeper than all of our sin. That is your hope. But it is precisely the cross that goes deeper. And the healing that you will need will pass by way of the cross. That means there will be bleeding. There will be sorrow. There will be suffering. There will be pain. And you've already ventured along that path by the very fact of opening this up to your fiancé. And I commend you for doing that. In the normal course of events, this is what should happen. When I, I say normal because, you know, there are, there are certain sensitivities here and it, in a given situation, it might not be prudent at a given time to reveal a certain reality from your past. I could hold that out as a possibility. But 98% of the time, the normal course of sharing your life with someone, of pursuing marriage with someone means sharing these things. Uh, you, you, you can't go into a marriage and not know certain things about the other person. And I would, I would say, not that all the details need to be known, no. but in a, in a general way, your fiancé needs to know about your past and needs to know especially your sorrow over your past and your your repentance and your willingness to pursue the healing that will be required. Forgiveness is one thing. I'm assuming you've confessed all this. Um, by all means, if you have not, go, run, because uh, a, a, a good confession is the beginning of all of our healing here. But Forgiveness is not the same as the healing we need. And I'm speaking from my own experience here. Um, I was sexually active before our marriage in a sinful way. I mean, if you're, I mean, I wanted to make, make it clear that I wasn't married to somebody else. Um, I was not married and I was sexually active for a time in my life. And that brought a lot of pain into our marriage that we had to look at honestly. And what is sexual sin? It is the experience of sexuality apart from the truth of marital love. What can heal it? Precisely living the truth of sexuality immersed in marital love. And marital love comes first and foremost, not from your future earthly spouse, but from God. Uh, if anyone is familiar with this podcast, if anyone is familiar with, with our work promoting theology of the body, you've heard me say many, many times, the whole Bible can be summed up in these five words. Wendy, why don't you shout them out? God wants to marry us. God wants to marry us. The marital love that heals is divine love first and foremost. And the sacrament of marriage is healing 
in as much as it is the channel through which God's love reaches us through our spouse. Wendy, I can say this with confidence. Your love has brought so much healing to my broken humanity because you have opened yourself to God's love and you have allowed God's love to Mm. flow through you to me. Mm. And that's how we heal. Mm. No one can claim, even if you have saved yourself for marriage, no one can claim that he or she is not sexually broken in some way. We live in a culture that wounds us sexually. Mm. If you were raised in 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 a world with a television and a, or a smartphone and an internet connection, you have been sexually wounded. It's just part, it's in the air. We live in a pornographic culture. Whether you've been exposed explicitly to, you know, graphic pornography or not, the culture itself promotes a pornographic understanding of sexuality. We're all wounded here. I would strongly recommend uh, two retreats that we offer our patrons. So I'm going to invite everyone who's not a patron right now to become a patron and attend or view the videos for these two retreats. One was with the Desert Stream ministry team, and the other one was, was with Bob Schutz. Uh, These are my two go-to teams for sexual healing in our sexually broken world. Mm. They provide what I would describe as the pastoral application of the theology of the body, Uh, taking us on the, the journey interiorly of the healing we need. So start with those retreats at the patron, um, in the patron community website, Uh, the Bob Schutz retreat that I did with him and the Desert Stream retreat that I did with Andrew Comiskey and his team. And if you are able ever to attend the sexual sexual integration and redemption course, and there's may still be time, we're offering one at the end of January into the first week of February this year, 2024, consider that. Or consider going to uh, any one of Bob Schutz, he runs the John Paul II Healing Center in Tallahassee, Florida, and we will put a link to that in the show notes. Look up any of the retreats that he does as a way forward. You might also want to listen to a podcast called Restore the Glory, which is hosted by Bob Schutz and by um, Jake, Kim. Jake Kim. Yes. Shout out to Jake and uh, shout out to Bob Schutz and shout out to Andrew Comiskey and his team. We'll have links to all of their ministries and podcasts, mm-hmm. et cetera, in, in the show notes. Yeah, I want to join you in just affirming the goodness of facing these things as a couple. Um, it's so hard. Oh, we just want the whole path. You know, we want to leave the past behind and move forward without looking back and yet it, it's part of us, and we need to at least sometimes spend some time looking at it. And when you're going to share your life and your whole self with someone, you need to invite them in. I, um, I really think for us, well, first of all, just thinking about the person asking this question, I was just struck by the, you shared about, you know, have you confessed this already? I was just imagining, like, Okay, sometimes we confess something with kind of a, 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 a certain level of knowledge of its sinfulness, 
but that interaction with someone, the person that you were meant to give yourself to, it can give you a new understanding of things that you regret. Um, you know, regret and a sense of your own um, just not having her in the forefront of your mind and the sinfulness of of not loving her in advance before yes. you knew her or or the sinfulness of not respecting the integrity of your own body and the meaning of what is communicated by sexual action so like sometimes it's good to revisit when we have a deeper understanding of a sin to confess those like kind of surrounding attitudes or lies that we believed also, you know, it's it's just that much more cleansing to revisit it in Amen that way. Amen to that. Can I share a little? Yeah, sure. Uh, I just want to affirm what you're saying and speaking from my own experience, as I have journeyed deeper and deeper into healing, I've had, just as you're saying, Wendy, a deeper understanding of the nature of the sins I committed. And I'll say just one one kind of illumination that I've had was my real sin was idolatry, mm. a certain idolatry of the female body, a certain idolatry of a type of female body that the culture said, this is what gives you added value, Christopher, because you get to be with such and such a kind of woman. Mm. Uh, and there's all kinds of ego issues and insecurities and Man, if you really look at what's behind your sexual sin, it'll open up a, uh, a, a depth of understanding of other sins that are intertwined. And as those lights come to us, you're exactly right, Wendy. Um, it's not that we need to be re-forgiven for the same sin, but we understand the nature of our sin more deeply, and we understand other sins that are involved— and that's just a th more thorough cleansing out. Mm -hmm. This has been my experience for sure. Mm. And I think as we also revisit these things in the presence of one who loves us, but not perfectly because we're human beings, we don't love perfectly, um, we experience, I think, a, a desire for graces that we maybe didn't yearn for as much because I, that there was something very poignant about the final sentence of this question. I feel I'm not worthy of her because of my past. So that's just a, a poignant like insight into how genuinely you value this person and want to be a good gift to her, want to bring joy to her in giving yourself to her. And all of that are, that's such good desires that we can ask the Lord for the graces to kind of make us new. And I remember, and you have shared this before on a podcast, Christopher, but it was probably a long time ago. Uh, when when you experienced the, an insight that you had never actually experienced the marital embrace right, and right. that you did come to into marriage never having experienced what it means to have that true sacramental, beautiful union because you were not right. married. Right. And so that sense of there is something utterly other and amazing about entering into marriage that is not the same thing all over again yes, at it, all. It would be an injustice to the marriage to say that what you did with these other people is the same thing right. as what's going to happen in your marriage. 
Uh, because what's going to happen in your marriage, if your heart is in the right disposition, is called the marital embrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just a physical action of body parts coming together. It is the gift, the total, the free, total, faithful, fruitful gift of self. And by definition, you can't make that gift if you're not married. Uh, that's what makes it, it wrong. You're saying something with your body that isn't true, right, in, in premarital sex. Uh, and I don't even like to call it premarital sex because it makes it sound like, well, you did this before you're married and now you're going to do the same thing post-marital sex. No, no, no. It's either marital sex or non-marital sex, mm-hmm. right? All sex outside marriage is non-marital. Mm-hmm. Some sex inside marriage is non-marital. For example, a married couple having contraceptive sex, that's not marital sex. That's non-marital sex, even though they're married. It's only marital sex if you are expressing the marriage commitment with the language of your body. And you, my brother, you have never done that. You have never done that. So you can give to your wife something you've never given to anyone else. I want to say one more thing about that. Um, He feels he's not worthy. Mm -hmm. What do we say every time before we receive the Eucharist? Lord, I'm not worthy that I'm you should enter under my roof. Yes, but only say the word, and my soul will be healed. There is a real, beautiful, profound analogy between the Holy Communion of the Eucharist, which is the consummation of the marriage between Christ and the Church, and the Holy Communion of the marital embrace. Uh, for most of our listeners, that is not a new concept. If you are new to our show, maybe that is a new concept. Go to Ephesians 5 and look at verses 31 to 32, where Paul compares the union of husband and wife in one flesh to the union of Christ and the church. As JP2 says, the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride, Christ the bridegroom, the church the bride. It is fitting, and Wendy, you and I have experienced this in our own marriage, to say to one another, it is fitting, I am not worthy to receive you in the marital embrace, but Lord, only say the word. And I will be healed. We will be healed. Coming to the marriage bed with that humble disposition of our utter need for God's mercy, that is the right disposition towards the marriage bed. One of the dangers, one of the dangers of, I was about to say one of the dangers of of not having a sexual past. It's not like I think we should all have a sexual past. But one of the dangers of thinking, well, there is, I'll put it this way, there is a danger in thinking because I may not have a sexual past, that I am worthy, mm-hmm. that I have my act together and I'm coming to the marriage bed squeaky clean and aren't I great? Well, that's the sin of pride. That's the sin of... of um self-justification and self-righteousness and self-reliance. Anybody and everybody, whether you have a sexual past or not, should be able to recognize your unworthiness in coming to the marriage bed and to recognize your utter need and dependence on God's mercy. Uh, the, the married couple in the, the book of Tobit, Tobias and Sarah, what saves them from the demon if you know that story, Sarah had been married seven times, and every 
time on the wedding night in the bridal chamber. They go to consummate the union and her husband falls over dead because he's getting attacked by a demon. And Tobias is now called to marry Sarah, right? Uh, think of the issues that he had to face going into that bridal chamber. Uh, in fact, Sarah's father was on the wedding day was digging his grave. He's like, okay, I know what's going to happen here. Let's just get this over with. Mm. What kind of courage did he need to face that marriage bed? And what saved him, JP2 says, is his prayer, where he cried out for God's mercy. He proclaimed his desire to live according to God's original plan for marriage, and he called out recognizing his need for God's mercy. That's what saved him from death. That's what enabled him to consummate the marriage and live. So, my dear brother, are you in need of mercy? Yes. Guess what? So is your fiance, whether she has a sexual past or not. She's in need of mercy. You're in need of mercy together. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if you go into your marriage knowing that, you'll be able to pray that prayer. Lord, we are not worthy to receive each other in the marriage bed, but only say the word and we shall be healed. Amen to that. We're going to end on that note. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, tuning in this week. We look forward to being with you again next week. If you are blessed by anything you heard today and you know somebody who needs to hear it, please hit that share button to help us spread this good news to others. Until next time, may you know it in your bones. You are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.